prayer. But let me give you a little spoiler alert, and it's that we do not end on a light, feel-good truth this morning. It's a heavy truth, but that's by Jesus' design. It's how he ended the prayer that he taught us to pray. And perhaps it comes last because it's such a vital truth for each of our lives. I don't think that it's an overstatement to say that the quality of your life and my life as we make our way through this world headed toward the next one, that the effectiveness of our lives here on earth, the, the peace of our lives here rests on what we do with this truth. And the truth is this, because we are believers in Christ, you and I are in a war. And because we are believers in Christ, we've got to be aware of and fight against our enemy, the evil one, the devil. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we come to Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, if you'll please take them and open them to the 6th chapter of Matthew. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 811. And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Now we ask you to be faithful, as you always are faithful, to bless the reading and the hearing of your word. We need your blessing on us this morning, Lord, to understand your truth. We need your blessing, the power of your spirit to open our hearts and our eyes to see and our minds to, to understand. We need your spirit, Lord, to change us and transform us. So we pray now that as we come to your word, your truth, we would also be yielded to your spirit. Because, Lord, when your spirit joins your truth, there's power and change happens. So we long for this morning. Do that in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In order for us to understand this sixth and final petition in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we really once again have to understand the five petitions that have preceded it. We've looked at them in these last many months. And in this prayer, Jesus teaches us that in the way we pray and that in the way you and I live our lives, our focus must be first and foremost fixed on the Lord. Our focus in our lives and our prayer first and foremost must be fixed on the Lord. And that's what these first three petitions do. The first petition, hallowed be thy name. We must focus on the holiness, the, the hallowedness, the set-apartness of the Lord. 
the only way you and I will ever understand our own lives, our own experiences, is to understand them in the context of who God is. And He is a holy God who allows you and me to call Him Father. And so we must, throughout our lives, look at our life through this lens. As we look through the world, everything we do, everything we say, everything we think must be filtered through the lens of a holy Father God. I do this thing. I do this thing I do. Knowing that a hallowed Father God is the greatest reality and highest power of the universe. I say this thing I say. Knowing that a hallowed Holy Father is the greatest reality and highest power of the universe. I embrace, I advocate this thought or this idea or this position or this feeling knowing that a hallowed holy God is the greatest reality, reality and the highest power in the universe. Likewise, with petition two, your kingdom come. We acknowledge that the kingdom of God is the only true and lasting kingdom. Do you believe that? It's beyond question that the kingdoms of the world do not last. They flourish for a season, then they die. But the kingdom of God is forever, never fading, never failing. That's the kingdom to which we must belong. And that's the kingdom. That kingdom is the kingdom with which we must align ourselves. That's the kingdom for which we must spend our lives and even give our lives, should it be necessary, in order to advance it. Then petition three. Your will be done. God is truth. And I hope you know this, that all truth, wherever it's found in this universe, if it's true, it belongs to God. And only God's will is perfect. Only God's will, in distinction to every other will, is truly good. And only God's will is truly pleasing. So God's will, knowing it, doing it. It's what restores our souls. So the first focus of our lives and all our lives then must be on God, His holiness, His kingdom, and His will. Then we come to the final three petitions. And Jesus turns the focus of our prayers from the Father to ourselves. He teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus gives us permission to pray for ourselves, to pray for our needs. And when we pray this prayer, you and I are speaking aloud, speaking aloud, our absolute dependence on God to make provision for us. Our Father, you give us this day our daily bread. And then Jesus turns to the fifth petition. From our physical needs to our spiritual needs, our soul needs, forgive us our debts. As we saw last week, we have got to take care of our souls. Have you been taking care of your soul this week? I hope you have. The first, the best way we care for our souls is availing ourselves often, very often, of the forgiveness, complete and free 
that is ours through Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven. Good news? We can know that our record is clear before the Lord every day. And you and I can minister out of the joy and this tremendous sense of peace that comes from knowing that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But our Holy Father God knows that you and I need more than just facts. We are not just embodied minds walking around. We also have emotions. And it's our emotions that affect us so greatly throughout the course of every day of our lives. And so every day our minds tell us the truth that when our Father justified us, when He declared that we are not guilty, that He forgave all of our sins, past, present, and future. But we need to feel that forgiveness every day. Because every day we sin. And every day that sin breaks and shakes our emotions. We might feel uncertain about our record before the Lord. We might feel uncertain about how the Lord feels about us unless every day we seek His forgiveness for our everyday sins. Then we can feel the burden taken away, lifted. You feel it? We can feel the fear dissipate. The uncertainty of our standing before the Lord is replaced by assurance and that feels so good. And that's what our Father wants us to feel. And so we logically then come to this sixth and last petition. What is it that forgiven people should want the most? What is it that forgiven people who first and foremost focus on God and passionately seek Him? What what do we want most? We want to stay on the path that He has set for us. We should desire to obey the voice of the Lord when He calls us to a life of holiness and righteousness. And if we will ever attain that desire, and I hope it is your desire, then the only way to attain it is to pray this, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. See, praying this prayer keeps God His glorious kingdom, His perfect will, always before us. Because you know what? You and I should not want to bring shame. We should not want in any way to dishonor our holy God, His glorious kingdom, or His perfect will. And so praying this prayer is how you and I take really good care of our forgiven souls. Because we seek to have fewer and fewer sins for which we have to ask forgiveness. We seek... The mortification of sin. Putting sin to death in our lives. We seek vivification by the power of the Spirit being made alive in Christ. And and being made alive to a life of holiness and godliness. Mortification, death. Vivification, life. Say it with me. Mortification, death. Vivification, life. That's why we have to pray, you and I, 
Because if we don't pray this prayer, then we don't believe there's a battle between the two, between mortification and between vivification. But there is a battle. See, if you and I had it our way, well, okay, I'll speak for myself. If I had it my way, Jesus would end this prayer on a positive note. Sin's forgiven. That's upbeat, right? That's positive. Sin's forgiven, record clear, adoption made certain. But Jesus concludes the prayer with deliverance and temptation and the evil one. And that's because Jesus loves us so much. It's as if he's saying, my forgiven people, and that's us, my forgiven people, here is your reality. Here's the reality of the world in which you live. Because you are a forgiven person, you are now a special target of the enemy. Now that's not good news, is it? Precisely because we are forgiven people, we are a special target of the enemy. Now what I'm going to say next might shock you. We have smelling salts for those who pass out, but I'm going to take this entire petition in one week. (laughs) This week, this is the one and only. But in order to do honor to this petition, I do want to say this, that we could spend, and you know I'm not lying, many, many, many weeks on this one petition. We could talk about the reason why God might allow us to be tempted. Jesus tells us to pray here that God would not lead us into temptation, but that in no way means that God tempts us or any way is the author of sin. James 1 tells us, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But we, don't know, but we do know that God does test his people in ways that end up for our good and for his glory. We, we know that he allows people to be tempted. Just back in chapter 4, Matthew tells the story about Jesus after his temptation, after his baptism. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. So we could talk about all that this morning, but we're not going to. We could talk about the potential good and the strengthening of our faith that could come from temptation and testing. And what testing means about our relationship with God, but we're not going to talk about that. We could talk about where temptation comes from. It's internal and it's external sources, but we're not going to talk about that. We could talk about the subtleties of Satan and how he uses them to tempt us. God's Word tells us that Satan, a serpent in the Garden of Eden, was more crafty than any other beast. But we're not going to talk about the subtlety and the craftiness of Satan. We could talk about a way to overcome temptation. That would be great, but we're not going to talk about that. We could talk about the sense in which the world in which you and I now live, it's called an evil world. And and the nature of the evil that's lurking about. But we're not going to talk about that. See what I mean? Weeks we could spend in this petition. And all of these are very specific and important aspects and implications of this prayer. They're worthy of our attention. But having said that this morning, we're just going to focus on two convictions, right? Two convictions that you and I must have if you and I will be motivated to pray this prayer every day. And the first conviction is this. We must be convinced that the battle is real and it 
is fierce. Okay, conviction one. The battle is real and it is fierce. The reality of the battle, it's encapsulated in the principle that we see here over and over. We refer to it often. You know it. Whatever God ordains, Satan one more time, whatever God ordains, Satan, right. If God ordains that you focus first and foremost on him, guess what? Satan opposes that and he will distract you and divert your attention somewhere else. If God ordains that you be released from guilt through Jesus, guess what? Satan opposes that. He wants you to feel guilty all the time. If God ordains that you and I be debt free, forgive us our debts, then Satan wants us to drown in debt. And this opposition is the reality of our human experience. The earliest pages of human history describe it for us. Genesis chapter 3. After Eve listened to the voice of Satan and after she and Adam disobeyed God and ate the fruit of the tree of which God said, don't, don't, don't eat it. God said this to the serpent, to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. The message translates Genesis 3.15 this way. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Please notice, it's God himself who is declaring war. There can be no peace between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of Satan. There can be no peace between a kingdom of light and a kingdom that is darkness. And so enmity must, by necessity, exist between the two. So you and I are deluded this morning. If we believe we can find some sort of happy medium between the two. So that we do just enough to keep God happy and appease Him, but still dabble a little bit in the ways of the enemy, the ways that we enjoy so much. Forget it. Forget it. You and I will never find that medium. It must be war. Never peace between the two. And so that means that those of us who love God, if you love God this morning, you have to hate the ways of Satan. Hate them. Not toy with them. Not wink at them a little. We must oppose them in every form and must hate them just as much as Satan hates everything about the kingdom of God. And make no mistake about it, the evil one against whom Jesus tells us to ask for deliverance, he hates God and he hates God's people. I told you this was a heavy sermon. I gave you that spoiler alert. That means he hates you. He hates you. If you're a believer in Christ, why is his hate so intense? Think about it. Sometime before God created man and woman, Satan was a glorious angel. He was a glorious angel in heaven. But Satan wanted more beauty. He wanted more glory than God had given to him. In fact, he wanted to be God. To replace God. And so he rebelled against the one and only true and living God. And for the magnitude 
of the pride that drove him to that, and for the magnitude of his rebellion against God himself, he was cast out of heaven. He was cast out of the presence of God. He could not have known the misery of that condition. He could not have imagined the magnitude of the loss until it became his reality. Now, please imagine Satan looking on as Adam and Eve created from the dirt. The dirt. They were created from it. Being so close to God. Walking and talking with Him. In the cool of the day, enjoying the closeness with God that Satan himself had once enjoyed. Imagine how he despises them for enjoying what he lost. Imagine his rage. And so the goal of his existence from the time of their creation became and remains to this very day disrupting that relationship. Preventing that relationship between us and God from ever coming into existence. Seeking to disrupt it or hopefully destroy it when it does come into existence. He wants no one to have what he lost. You know, my hometown was Confederate, even though I'm from West Virginia. And it was set on fire during the Civil War by the Confederacy when they had to flee. And so as was the common thinking of that day, if they couldn't have the town, then they certainly wouldn't let it fall into the hands of the enemy to enjoy its spoils. Uh, Spoils might be a little strong for my hometown, but you get the point. (laughs) And so they destroyed it, they reduced the town to ashes, and that tends to be human nature, doesn't it? If I can't have it, nobody will. And it's certainly Satan's attitude. He lost God and he wants everyone else to suffer that same loss. If he can't have God, he wants no one to have him. How he despises to see you and me, even in this moment, worshiping God, loving him, praising him, thanking him for all he's done for us. Famous Puritan preacher Thomas Watson writes of the magnitude of the malice of our enemy. He says, his malice is great because though knowing his tempting men to sin will increase his own torment in hell, he will not leave it off. Every temptation makes his chain heavier and his fire hotter, and yet he continues to tempt. Dutch theologian Herman Witsius, also from the Puritan era, he wrote this, that Satan bends all his attack on those whom Christ has claimed to be his own. When he sees them extricated from his toils, loosed from his shackles and bolts, restored to liberty and proceeding straight towards the glory of the heavenly kingdom, he's roused to rage and fury, and like a roaring lion pursues and besets them from every quarter, seeking whom he may devour." Listen, the battle is real and the battle is fierce. Always there must be enmity between Satan and those who love God. Make no mistake about it. Satan is not your friend. He attempts to trick us into thinking he is. 
How he loves to have us think of our Heavenly Father as a strict Father. Rigid. The cosmic killjoy whose goal is to prevent you from ever having any joy or fun out of this life. While he, according to scripture, masquerades as an angel of light. Ah, I'm your friend. I'll help you not be so uptight, so prudish, so puritanical. To help you live a little, enjoy life. Do not believe it. What he only and always seeks is your destruction. And until you and I are convinced and convicted of that, we will have no motivation to pray this prayer, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. But when you have this conviction, you will pray. Let's turn to the second conviction. We must be convinced that we cannot fight this battle alone. So much of the Lord's prayer, as we've made our way through it, has forced us, you and me, as very independent people, to recognize and face up to the fact that actually we are very dependent. We are utterly dependent on God and His grace for all things. Because the Lord's Prayer is, after all, just that. It's a prayer. If we did not need help, then Jesus wouldn't tell us to pray. But He does. And so, too, with this last petition of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, you deliver us from evil. We must not fight this battle in our own strength because you and I absolutely cannot deliver ourselves. Do you believe that? We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to lower our expectations of ourselves and what we think we can do. Think of the long list of the all-stars that Satan has tempted. Adam and Eve, those created in the image of God, who knew no sin till the temptation of Satan. They succumbed to it. Job, the man of whom God said, there is no one like him on earth, tempted, crushed by Satan. David, the greatest king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, succumbed to the temptation of Satan. Judas, one of Jesus' own apostles, fell to the temptation of Satan. Peter, the greatest, the strongest, the boldest of the apostles. Peter, the one that Satan requested to sift like wheat, succumbed to the temptation and denied Jesus three times. So listen, why should you and I think that we would fare any better apart from depending daily on the Lord. Do we think that we are stronger than these people? Jesus' temptation in the wilderness ended well. He withstood Satan's temptation. And Scripture says that Satan left him for a more opportune time. Throughout his ministry, Satan is looking for an opportunity for an opportune time to tempt Jesus. And when did that time come? That time came in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying the night before He was to go to the cross. And Jesus hoped that there might exist another way 
to secure salvation for you and for me. And if such a way existed, Jesus wanted to, to take it. Let this cup pass from me. But, it, but look, Jesus did not yield to the temptation. He did not turn from the cross. Why? Because he prayed. And he depended on his Father for deliverance from temptation. And the Father delivered him. And Jesus went to the cross. And he accomplished his goal. And he fulfilled the plan of God. How thankful are you for that? Why do we think that we can withstand temptation and survive the evil around us unless the Lord deliver us? This is why we find at the end of Jesus' ministry a bookend prayer to the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught at the beginning of His ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus paused from His own prayers, He went to the disciples and He instructed them, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But instead of praying, what did the disciples do? They slept three times. Jesus came to the disciples, hoping he would find those who were watching and praying with him, praying against temptation, but instead he found sleepers. And the third time he came to them and he said, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand right now. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And while he was speaking, Judas came. While they were sleeping, their enemy was at work through his human agent, Judas. Perhaps the disciples slept because they thought they had everything under control because they thought they were impervious to temptation. Peter said hours before the Last Supper, Though they all fall away because of you, I never will fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all, A-L-L, all the disciples said the same. Now that's a beautiful proclamation to make, right? I'll never de deny you. I will never fall away. It's good. It's right. It's beautiful. The problem comes in where their confidence and their assurance for keeping that bold proclamation lay, and that confidence was in self. And that's why they slept while Jesus prayed. They didn't understand the gravity of the situation, the ferocity of the enemy, or the fierceness of the battle. But Jesus did know. He knew the temptation that was about to face each of them, and so he said to them, pray, pray, pray. But they didn't pray. And so when they came to arrest Jesus, all, A-L-L, -L, all the disciples left him and fled. They did not. They could not. Fulfill their bold proclamation that was right and good and beautiful because they could not do it in their own strength. And so the plea I make for each of us this morning is to know that the battle is real and it's fierce. My plea is that you know your enemy 
our enemy. He's lurking, searching, seeking one, one whom he may devour, steal, kill, destroy. That one is you. That one is me because we love the Lord so much. And you and I are not strong enough to resist him. We resist only in the strength of the Lord and in daily, daily seeking his deliverance from temptation and from the evil one and from all his subtleties. And so my plea, because it's Jesus' plea, is that we pray. I'll close with this quote from John Calvin. Here we must carefully note that it is not in our power to engage that great warrior, the devil, in combat or to bear his force and onslaught. Otherwise, it would be pointless or a mockery to ask of God what we already have in ourselves. Obviously, those who prepare for such a combat with self-assurance do not sufficiently understand with what a ferocious and well-equipped enemy they have to deal. Now we seek to be freed from his power as from the jaws of a mad and raging lion. If the Lord did not snatch us from the midst of death, we could not help being immediately torn to pieces by his fangs and claws and swallowed down his throat. Yet we know that if the Lord be with us, And fight for us while we keep still in his might we shall do mightily. Let others trust as they will in their own capacities and powers of free choice which they seem to themselves to possess. For us, let it be enough that we stand and are strong in God's power alone. Now you're ready for some good news. The source of our confidence and the strength in battle. Colossians 2.15 And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Christ made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Is that good news? 1 John 4.4 You are from God, little children, and have overcome because... Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Is that good news? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for teaching us how to pray and what to pray. Because you know far better than we what our human experience is like. Because you, Lord Jesus, experienced it yourself. So you you know how to pray. And you know how we should pray. And Lord, I ask that we would be faithful to pray this prayer daily. Lord, help us put aside the voices of our our culture that would ridicule this, would ridicule me, would send me back to Puritan New England for my uh, antiquated thoughts and beliefs. That's what our world says now. But Lord, your truth remains throughout all generations and through every culture. So convict us this morning, Lord, that our life is a battle. It's real and it's fierce. 
convict us and convince us, Lord, that we cannot win this battle against our enemy. He's been at it too long. We cannot win apart from your help, your strength, and your deliverance. We praise you, Father, that greater is he who is in us, your Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world. And so we depend on that. And Father, I pray too now that we would not forget the corporate aspect of this prayer. Lord, we need to pray for each other. Lord, we, we need to pray for new believers. Because, Lord, they have escaped Satan's prison. And any prison warden will pursue that escaped prisoner. He would love to have that person back in his kingdom, back in the darkness. And so, Lord, we pray for those, even here this morning, who might be new believers. Defend them, Lord. Protect them, Lord. Father, we pray for those here who are suffering some way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, materially. Lord, suffering people are, are vulnerable and they can doubt your love and your goodness and the enemy can take advantage of that weakness. And so, Lord, we, we pray for those people as well. Or there are people among us this morning probably who, who, who are idle, And I was always taught growing up that idle hands are a devil's workshop. Lord, we distract ourselves. We amuse ourselves so that we don't think. We don't fix our focus on you and what's honorable and pure and and, and worthy and excellent. And so, Lord, for those people, I pray as well, they too can be a special target of the enemy and his subtleties. So, Lord, pray for these, pray for so many others, convict us of our need for prayer, and help us, Lord, to pray for one another. Oh, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen.